You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Most gracious and ever-living God, for the gift of this day, I give you thanks for this opportunity to gather together, that you richly bless us um, with Christian community, and that you, Lord uh, Jesus Christ, are at the head of it, uh, and you are at the center of it. And I pray that you would be at the center of our lives and that you indeed would bring life um, to our lives. And ultimately, at the end of the day, Lord, uh, pray that uh, ultimately my words would fall away and your living word, Jesus, would remain. Amen. Amen. So um, today we are, <laughs> it's kind of funny, so we, um, you know, we turn these titles, we have to turn these titles in months in advance, so... Um, so I'm going to sum up Jesus um, in about 30 minutes um, this morning is uh, what's, what's before me. And I, uh, what I want to do is uh, kind of look at, at uh, and obviously, I mean, good heavens, uh, I cannot begin. Well, you could give me a lifetime, right? Um, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to be sufficient to the task and to the moment. So I want to focus primarily on... Three words, three characteristics. As I say, they're they're not they're not a summation, um, but they give some structure to our reflection this morning. So a few texts, but but the three words are um, alive, gracious, and sacrificial. Um, so alive, uh, gracious, and sacrificial are the three words to to hang things on this morning. And, and a few texts. One is one of my favorites, and it's one I've been thinking uh, about. A lot um, even before this class but John 20 you remember at the end of John's gospel John writes Jesus did many other things that are not written in this book um, but these are written why that's that you may know that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name uh, John wonderfully sums up Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book uh, and of course one of the things about John's gospel is Jesus um, does uh, John, rather than describing them as miracles, describes them as signs. And obviously the importance of a sign is, is what or to whom it points. And so part of John's understandable emphasis is saying, uh, well, and he even captures it in Jesus's words. Jesus reveals God to us. Jesus says repeatedly in John's gospel, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and I am in you. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. Um, so Jesus, yes, uh, in his teaching, uh, and certainly um, also in his miracles, and, and very definitely in his death and his resurrection, reveals to us um, the Father uh, and the nature, uh, the nature of God as our Heavenly Father. So uh, John talks about signs, and the signs point to something. The signs point to someone. The signs are a revelation of the nature and the character of God. Um, Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the Son of God, and that by believing uh, you may have life um, in his name. One of the uh, a great story I came across uh, years ago, Sandy Miller, uh, you may or may not know, if any of you remember the Alpha Course um, with Nicky Gumbel, um, it's kind of when you think of the Alpha Course, you think of Nicky Gumbel, um, blue shirt uh, and blue jeans. That's like, that's his standard, you know, that's, that, is, that is the Nicky Gumbel. If any of you watch the, the videos in there, 
and they were videos, um, and they were fantastic. Um, and uh, but uh, there's a story. There's some different things that have spun off of Alpha. But Sandy Miller uh, was an attorney in London, a barrister, and he tells the story of, of his conversion. And he uh, had grown up, um, and, and in many ways, um, uh, similar to my own experience, you know, had sort of grown up, but it hadn't taken root in his life. Uh, had grown up around it. He had heard the words. He had been to church. He had been in the environment, but it hadn't taken root. And and that's uh, and I'll share a little bit more. But I mean. Um, I mean that's very much my own story. Um, I was uh, I was late to the party. Um, I, I was I was slow to catch on. And for me, honestly, it really I was baptized and confirmed, and uh, even for a period of time went to Episcopal schools. And um, you know, as I say, I'm not just knocking them uh, because I think we can all agree there was plenty of error um, on my own part as well. So it wasn't just they did a poor job. I imagine. Um, they were dealing in difficult material um, with me. So let's, you know, let me take some ownership and all of that. But it really wasn't until college that, that I had my conversion, that I came to have this sort of living relationship, this personal relationship, this, this real relationship. Well, Sandy Miller was an attorney, and he said he was in, he was going about his day, he was in London, and he uh, got in the tube and was traveling uh, from one stop to another. And y'all are familiar in those uh, in sort of large cities, public places, you're trying not to make eye contact, right? Um, sort of we're all looking at one another, but subtly. Um, and so this man came in, and he sat down across from him, and he stared at him. <laughs> no, no pretense of not staring at him. And of course, his immediate feeling was exactly what yours and mine would be. Why me? Um, there's, you know, there's all these cars. It's a big subway. Why does this guy have to come and sit down uh, and look uh, across from me and directly at me? And then he said the man spoke to him, not in a, not in a hostile way, but in a, in a voice that was louder than he would have liked. Uh, and he said, do you know that Jesus is alive? And he said he fumbled with the response and, uh, you know, uh, yes, yes, I do is, is what he said in response. And of course, you can imagine his hope would have been our hope. Well, let me ask you, what would your hope have been um, in that particular moment? That he'd move along. Um, but that was it. He got the answer that he wanted and he would move on to the next victim um, on the subway. Um, so do you know that Jesus is alive? And Sandy Miller fumbled, uh, yes, yes, I do. And he said the guy continued to look directly at him, smiling, not, not hostile, but he uh, wondered if he might be a little deranged um, as he continued to look at him. And then he said these words, rather simple words. He said, does it make any difference in your life? So how about that? Do you know that Jesus is alive? Yes, yes, I do. And then the next question, um, a personal one, does it make any difference in your life? And he once again said he fumbled and felt like the appropriate answer was to say yes. Uh, yes, it does. Um, and he said he responded in the affirmative. Yes, it certainly makes a difference in my life. And then he said the subway stopped in between stops <laughs> for a minute. So just to drag it out a little farther um, for him. And uh, thankfully, it started again uh, in a moment and arrived at the next stop. He said, it wasn't my stop, but I got off. Uh, <laughs> he, said, he got off, he ran up, he felt out of breath um, after the whole experience. And he said, I, I, I went, uh, he said, what, uh, he was plagued 
by that encounter. And, and what plagued him about that encounter, he said, why did, I need to, why did I feel like I needed to answer in the affirmative? Why did I feel like I needed to say that Jesus is alive, for starters? And then why did I feel like I needed to say that it made a difference in my life? And he said, I was troubled by the fact that I felt like I needed to answer in the affirmative, but that wasn't true of my life. And he said he began, he went and found a Bible that he received at his confirmation um, that he had not read. Uh, and he began to open it up and he opened it randomly and he read John's gospel. Uh, and he read through John's gospel and he said, I hope you don't find this offensive. He's uh, in a very British fashion, but he said, I, I fell in love with this guy, Jesus. Um, he said, I just, uh, he read through the gospel and, and something about it, that something became um, alive to him. Uh, Jesus was, in fact, um, someone who was alive, and it's something that began to shape and fashion his life. He, he went into, he ended up um, leaving uh, the practice of law and going into ministry. Um, let, me, let me say, if those of you who are attorneys don't feel threatened by that, you don't have to leave um, your, your, your practice of law and enter the ministry, and, and I can go ahead and tell you, it's not better. Um, yeah, Jesus is alive. It does make a difference in your life. Ministry is not any better than the practice uh, of, 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 of law. Uh, but it, it was one of those that uh, it just, it, again, it, it, brought a, it brought a change to his life, uh, something that dramatic. So the first thing I want to say, uh, obviously, one of the things in the world, uh, of course, Christianity is, is referred to in our time and any time in various times as something which is patently, um, well, that the first course of the Alpha course is, and Nikki Gumbel's belief in Christianity was it was boring, untrue, and irrelevant. Um, and so there's certainly plenty uh, of belief today that, it, that it's something, you know, that it's, that it's boring, that it's untrue, um, that it is irrelevant. And one of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately, and I want to propose to you this morning, um, I, and this I included in the, in the stewardship letter, um, but just thinking about Jesus in many ways, and again, he's much more than this. Yes, he's very much uh, one who is alive, uh, but Jesus by nature is invitatory. An encounter with Jesus um, is an invitation. Um, and I, uh, do you, you're welcome to agree or disagree with me um, on that. Uh, but I would contend that an encounter with Jesus is by nature an invitation uh, because we, the claims that he makes, as, as Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis notes, that the claims that he makes are not the claims of a sane person. Um, so it's, you really can't say he's, he's a fabulous teacher, um, um, but, but that's all. Because again, he, he claims to be God. Um, and someone who claims to be God is either right or they're wrong. <laughs> and they're either sane or they're not sane. Um, it's, it's really hard to, it's hard to find a middle ground. Well, you know what? He's a great teacher. He's just a little misguided. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great teacher. He's a really nice guy. Um, but he just happens to think he's God. Um, if, in the relationship in your life, you wouldn't say, well, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, that, that's basically all right. That Jesus by nature is invitatory. And Jesus by nature... And we're, we're forced to contend uh, in a good way. Is it, is it true? Is, is what Jesus um, claims about himself true? Uh, and if it is true, what, what does that mean um, in our lives? Uh, and as we rightly note again and again and again, the, the truth of that doesn't mean um, that yours and my performance will be, uh, will be perfect as a result of 
the mental um, or spiritual uh, accession to that truth. Um, but the but the recognition of that and the contending with that, it, it does change um, our lives. It does impact um, our lives. It does bring a difference um, to our lives. What we what we think about this person, and particularly if we believe the claims of Jesus to be true, even if, again, we, we, we wrestle with them as inevitably humans we do, it, it begins to wonderfully shape um, and to fashion um, our lives. And so the first thing I would say is that the reality of Jesus um, is that he is entirely uh, alive um, and also that that inevitably comes to us in a way um, which engages us, which invites us, uh, which uh, challenges us. And thinking about some scriptures, I mentioned John 20 to you was one. But another one um, is comes from the uh, ninth chapter of Luke's gospel. And in Luke 9, if you remember, one of the things about Jesus as well is, and um, thinking about particularly our current cultural moment, and in some ways, uh, I think it's a folly of the human condition to think that there was a golden age um, because it's easy to envision a golden age when we're not living in it, right? Um, we all, to some degree, curate our memories. Um, you know, we're, we curate history and we curate um, our memories uh, thinking about um, our kids are, not, are now all in their 20s and I, um, it's funny, so my kids are all in their in their twenties, and all <laughs> all the pictures in my office are when they're four. Um, it's sort of like you know, it's kind of like it's sort of like I've sort of frozen that moment uh, in in time. And uh, you know, it's funny. I, I look back, and of course, ah, oh, I smile. I just think, and I actually on my uh, I was in the attic one day, and I found um, one of my kids' little kids. You remember those? They. There, there were the blue kids and the red kids and the khaki kids, and um, so. And again, it's a, it's about it's about this big, and I have it up on my uh, on my bookshelf, and I look at it, and I just smile. I would just think, ah, oh, just remember um, those times with such fondness, and you know the pictures. I mean, here's Paula, uh, and here's me, and here's the kids in between us, because. The reality is we probably didn't want to stand next to one another. Uh, we were so tired uh, and we were so stressed out and we were so strung out. But of course, you look back and just think, those were the best times. <laughs> and you were exhausted and you were broke uh, and you were overdone and you were all these different things in that particular moment. And you were worried, you know, are we doing the right job? Are we doing a good enough job? Are we getting it right? Are we warping our kids? Are we you know, giving them a good foundation. Um, are they making friends? Are they learning enough? Um, are they successful um, enough in their athletics uh, and learning Mandarin uh, and computer coding and, you know, all these sorts of things? Are we giving them the appropriate competitive edges um, so they can be successful in their lives? So again, we look back and we curate um, all, those, um, all those images and we imagine it um, different, uh, we imagine it different than it was. Um, but Jesus, um, very much, uh, very much alive. And Luke nine begins with Jesus uh, sending out uh, the apostles, and he tells them to take nothing um, for your journey. And if you remember, and uh, other times they, they they take something, but take nothing for your journey at this point. Um, and uh, basically, what he's calling them to, and and this is part of the Christian life, and and Jesus being alive, and if we believe Jesus is who he claims to be. 
Part of that is a relationship of wonderful and blessed dependence. Um, and one of the things we talked about last time, God uh, as a father is, is a God who provides. And Jesus, of course, says on numerous occasions, look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spend, and yet God cares for them. God clothes them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Uh, we hear, and this is Jesus sends them out. It's, it's a moment of, of dependence uh, because uh, one of the things uh, is vital for them is, is to learn uh, that sufficiency of God, that um, provision of God. And as I say that, I believe that is profoundly and undeniably true, not just theoretically, but personally. I mean, Paul and I have experienced that uh, in, I mean, good heavens, in more ways than I can begin to enumerate. I mean, we've been so richly um, blessed uh, over the years, and God has, you know, wonderfully and graciously provided, and sometimes <laughs> swooping in at the last minute, um, uh, but but undeniably um, providing wonderfully and, and necessarily. But as I say that, it's also honest um, to say as well, uh, I have absolutely no reservation about God's love and care for me personally. Uh, and I have no doubt about God's love and care for you personally. I, I don't happen to think I'm special um, in that economy. Um, I know about the very personal uh, and uh, more than we can begin to imagine or ask love and care and provision of God um, for you and for me. Um, but, but I also have uh, experienced as well the reality, God doesn't seem to mind hurting my feelings. Um, um, God doesn't seem to mind um, shaping um, and, and fashioning me. Uh, God and his love and his grace. Um, and this is tough in the human condition. I think, uh, and again, this is, uh, I may be very, very wrong. Um, and you're welcome to feel that or express that verbally. Uh, but I think one of the challenges of the human condition, we tend to be too hard when we should be softer, and we tend to be too soft when we should be firmer. I, I just think that's, you know, that, that's part of the challenge of the, it's, it's hard to get it right. Um, it's hard to get it right, and thus that drives us wonderfully back upon our dependence upon God and his sufficiency and his provision, uh, his provision for you and for me. But one of the things that I think is true about Jesus in relationship with you and me, people whom he loves and provides for is that he also has a bigger picture. Uh, and he's shaping and fashioning us for more than just this moment. Uh, he's shaping and fashioning us for eternity. Uh, and that, uh, in, in my own experience, uh, again, I, I, I find that God loves me. I have no doubt about that. And, and yet, sometimes um, it, it seems as if... Um, uh, again, he's not overly concerned about my feelings, and sometimes for long periods of time, more than just days, um, sometimes years um, or, or, or decades, uh, and yet um, that loving, gracious, uh, shaping provision. One of my all-time favorite verses is Second Corinthians 4, and uh, when, when Paula, December will be seven years, uh, when Paula was hit by the car, it's funny, I was thinking about that, I often call it an accident, but I don't I don't know that accident is the right word, but when she was hit and we were in the hospital, and not just in the hospital, but beyond the hospital as well, but that was one of the verses for us. Second Corinthians 4, we're, we're pressed, but we're not crushed, uh, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but we're not destroyed. Uh, pressed, but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And that's not unique to us. I mean, um, you don't have to be hit by a car <laughs> to be pressed uh, and crushed and persecuted. Uh, you know, that's 
that's, that's part of the human condition. One of the things Jesus is wonderfully honest when he says, look, uh, not only in this world you'll have trouble, uh, but, if, but if you follow me, these are, these are facets of, of, of life in me. Um, you, you will be pressed at times. You will feel crushed um, at times. You will feel pressed. You will feel persecuted. You will feel um, abandoned at times. That's, if, if we're honest, that's part of walking with Jesus. That's part of the human experience. And wonderfully, it's not the final word, um, but it is a word with which we contend uh, in life. Um, and Jesus sends them out. And of course, uh, initially there is, uh, there is great results. Um, but then, of course, uh, and Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Um, Jesus foretells his death. He tells them to take up uh, their cross and to follow him. He's transfigured. They get this vision of, of who he is uh, and the veracity of the claims which he makes about himself. They see him heal a boy with an unclean spirit. He again um, tells his death, foretells his death. Seems to be a theme here. Uh, just in one chapter, uh, he's pointing to this again and again. Uh, and of course, um, if you remember, do y'all remember in response to this Luke 9, uh, Jesus um, foretells his death and um, the wonderful, faithful disciples. Do you remember what their response is to this? They're, in response, exactly. That's right, you got to judge. In response is they're arguing afterward who's going to be the greatest among them. <laughs> the titans of faith um, that were the disciples. Immediately after this, they're arguing about who among them is going to be um, the greatest. Uh, and then they see someone who is casting out demons in Jesus's name. And John uh, uh, said, we tried to stop him. Um, we saw this man casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him um, because he doesn't follow with us. Um, so we, Jesus, we tried to help you out um, on this. <laughs> but Jesus, of course, says, do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. Uh, and he is traveling through Samaria. And of course, you know, Jews and Samaritans didn't mix uh, and they're not received warmly in that place. And then this is, uh, it's a significant verse, Luke nine fifty one, And I know it seems a little obscure. Uh, but we hear this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So we hear, and again, Jesus has repeatedly said that the Son of Man um, must die, that he will be handed over, that that is at the, not only the heart of his identity, but the heart of his purpose for coming into the world as a savior. Uh, coming into the world necessarily as a savior. But he says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, and of course, uh, that, that imagery, I don't know about you, but I, I think about John 3. Jesus says, when I, when I am lifted up, um, I will draw the world um, to myself, uh, is what Jesus says, when he's lifted up. And now we hear the time for him to be taken up, uh, which of course refers to his cross, but it also refers to his resurrection, uh, the means by which you and I will be saved. And again, why? These moments of being pressed uh, and feeling crushed or persecuted or abandoned are not final words uh, because we have there's a greater final word um, that has been spoken. Uh, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So we see there is a there's a purposefulness here. Uh, he's not uh, as some commentators uh, have wrongly said over time. Basically, Jesus got swept up. Uh, he wasn't swept up. Um, this was, he set his face toward Jerusalem resolutely 
in order that he might be taken up um, for you and for me, that in order that he might defeat the power of sin and death. He set his face um, toward Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned to rebuke them, and they went on to another village. I want to um, share a little bit. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm always um, hesitant, but here I go. Uh, I've just begun this book, um, and I really like it so far. Um, So, and um, some of you might read the whole book. Um, and I intend to read actually the whole book, but again, I've just recently started it. Unapologetic uh, is the name of it. Francis Spufford. Why, despite everything, Christianity can still make surprising emotional sense um, is the is the title uh, of of the book. Um, here it is. You can commit that uh, to memory. And um, uh, Spufford is writing in the context. Uh, uh, the context of England. And if you remember, I'm trying to remember how many years ago. Do you remember there was a time? Um, uh, and I know it was uh, in London. There were the there were the atheist buses. Um, there was a there was a campaign. I can't believe you forgot that. Um, there was a there was a campaign. There were the <laughs> there were the atheist buses instead of the Christian buses. Um, and so the the it, uh, the slogan. Uh, uh, the slogan on the side of the bus, and I'm trying to remember it exactly. I'm looking for it. Uh, I'm looking for it here. Uh, is uh, the, the it's uh, got it's uh, this is going really well right now. Um, I should have I should have marked this. Uh, uh, I should have marked this out. Ah, here we go. Uh, here's what the atheist bus said. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Um, there's probably no God. Uh, now stop worrying um, and enjoy your life. Um, that was the that was the slogan, and you know, um, I think that's a, 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 a pretty accurate perception of those uh, who oppose Christianity. Um, uh, you know what? God is uh, basically God is the killjoy. Um, God is uh, judgmental. Um, and, and God weighs you down. If we could just shrug off God, then we'd be so much happier. <laughs> and of course, we know how preposterous um, that is. If we could just shrug off God, then doggone it, we'd finally be free. Um, and, and we all know how free we were when we lived apart from God, right? Um, I know in my own life, I was just incredibly free and really happy um, and very fulfilled um, in, in my life. Everything was, was going swimmingly um, as I was apart. But yeah, that's, that's the song. There's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And in commenting on this, uh, he, he, comments, um, he comments on the cruelty uh, of this, and, and not, in a, not in a prudish way, but, but basically what he says is um, uh, this stands against reality. Uh, this, this stands against reality. Rather than Christianity not being realistic, uh, it's unrealistic to say, hey, you just need to get on with your life and enjoy it. Um, uh, you just need to, yeah, you just need to, en- you just need to enjoy life. He basically said it's, it's, it's marketing um, and, 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 all of its, uh, and all of its vapidness. He says, I'm sorry, enjoy your life? Enjoy your life? I'm not making some kind of neo-Puritan objection to enjoyment. Enjoyment is lovely. Enjoyment is great. The more enjoyment, the better. But enjoyment is one emotion. 
the only things in the world that are designed to elicit, to elicit enjoyment and only enjoyment are products, and your life is not a product. You cannot expect to unwrap it and place it in an advantageous corner of your Docklands flat and admire the way the halogen spots on your lighting track gleam on its sleek sides. Only sometimes when you're being lucky will you stand in a relationship to what's happening to you where you'll gaze at it with warm, approving satisfaction. The rest of the time you'll be busy feeling hope, boredom, curiosity, anxiety, irritation, fear, joy, bewilderment, hate, tenderness, despair, relief, exhaustion, and the rest. <laughs> Isn't that more accurate uh, of, of the human? Uh, that's a much more honest depiction of, of, the human, of the human condition. It makes no more sense to say that you should feel the single emotion of enjoyment about your life than to say you should spend it entirely in a state of fear or of hopping from foot to foot anticipation. Life just isn't unanimous uh, like that. And then he goes on, I'm going to read a little bit more, uh, and he says, so when the atheist bus comes by and tells you that there's probably no God, so you should stop worrying and enjoy your life, the slogan is not just bitterly inappropriate in mood. What it means, if it is true, is that anyone who isn't enjoying themselves is entirely on their own. So without that, anyone who isn't enjoying themselves uh, is entirely um, on their own. And he goes on, because he told three stories about three different people and the distinct challenges that they uh, were experiencing. The three of you are, for instance, you're all three locked up in your unshareable situations, banged up for good in cells no other human being can enter. Uh, if life is just simply God is not real, you need to enjoy life, you need to get on with it, uh, you need to change um, your perception. What he, what he says is when you find yourselves in situations that are, uh, that are obviously um, not enjoyable, that there's no hope uh, and that there's no help um, and that you're on your own uh, to deal with it um, or make uh, the most of it. Uh, and I would contend that what we have in God is a God uh, who, yes, is alive, who is gracious, uh, who is sacrificial in the way that he intervenes. So I want to share a story with you I've shared before, uh, but it's, it's one which is really in many ways seminal in my life and in my coming to faith. Um, and uh, as, as a lot of these stories are, are stories in relationship with mom and dad, and uh, uh, I'll uh, succinctly... Um, after my freshman year in college, uh, I stayed over in Charleston um, over the summer uh, by invitation of the academic faculty. Um, I had the opportunity to continue my studies over the summer to continue at the Citadel. Um, so I was there for the summer and I was uh, rooming with one of my teammates from the soccer team and uh, we finally had a moment of freedom and so we took a road trip down to Florida, down to Jacksonville where I'd lived previously and in the process, uh, the road uh, took a 90-degree turn. I didn't. Um, I crashed my car um, and somehow managed to limp the car from Jacksonville back to Charleston. And, of course, it wouldn't run after that. And I, uh, I mean, this is, this is a story of sin. You know what I did? I hit it. <laughs> so there was, we were living in this apartment on King Street. There was this alley in this parking lot behind, and I just left it there. Um, and 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 hit it up. You know, honestly, um, 
One of the miracles is that it wasn't towed. I can't believe it wasn't towed. I mean, this is Charleston, so I mean, they don't just leave um, cars. But anyway, maybe it just looks so pathetic. Um, no one wanted to touch it, so I just left it there. And unsurprisingly, tomorrow was always a better day to call Dad in Atlanta to tell him what I did because I care about my father. Um, and I didn't want to stress him out, and so I put it off and, you know, um, it's the kind of guy I am. I love my dad. So I, I, I was waiting, waiting to tell Dad, waiting to tell Dad. And, um, um, and surprisingly, the car wasn't getting better um, <laughs> in, in this uh, process of, of hiding and avoidance. And it's interesting, I mean, I... I would walk to school, I'd take the bus to school, I'd ride my bike to school. I mean, this is how, this is how dysfunctional I am. Um, and so all of this is, is going on. And it was interesting because, not surprisingly, what do you think I was doing? I was avoiding my dad. Um, I, I, I was avoiding him. And there was this barrier um, in our relationship that was caused by, by what I did. Um, and, you know, it exposed just, I mean, just my... my selfishness um, in, in all of this. And so there is this barrier between me and my dad uh, that existed and only seemed to grow wider the more I avoided him. Uh, and again, unbeknownst to him, but certainly experienced by me. Mom and dad came to visit. We showed them our apartment. That took 30 seconds. Um, and then dad asked the question, son, where's your car? Um, and I can still visualize <laughs> walking out, walking across King Street, down the alley. Uh, and I mean, y'all have been there in some shape or fashion or another. Of course, I was bracing myself um, for what was going to happen to me rightly. And of course, that's the worst thing, isn't it? Um, when you know it's just like it's right. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no denying it. I deserve it. Um, the judgment is just um, and the jig is up. And we got back there, and I'm bracing myself. Dad was an awesome, awesome dad. Um, great guy. I miss him. I was so grateful for him. He could also be bellicose. Um, and so I was, you know, I was, I was ready um, for the moment. And I, again, once again, I could visualize it. Dad looked at the car, and he looked at me, and he just went like this. He just shook, he just shook his head, and he said, son... I said, why didn't you tell me about this sooner? I could have done something about this. And, um, oh, you know, I mean, again, uh, uh, avoidance, my own, you know, all my, all, my, all my fault, you know, this barrier, this division, which existed, of course, uh, between us as a result of what I had done. Uh, and, and Dad, just in a moment, he just shook his head. You know, why didn't you tell me about this sooner? I could have done something uh, about this. And in fact, Dad did um, do something about this. This will also surprise you to know that, that I didn't have the money um, to fix my car. Um, and so not only did I receive mercy, uh, but, but Dad restored a situation that I couldn't restore. And this is something that you know, I didn't... Uh, I was 19 um, at this time. Let me just say, I didn't think about this theologically um, in that particular moment. I just was relieved um, in that particular moment. And, and yet, it was something that planted a, a very deep and real seed and really was one of the things moving me toward a real and living relationship with Jesus, a faith with, with Jesus. Because in, in Dad's actions, uh, you know, the, the things that we read about here, which are so very compelling and so very true, took on flesh 
uh, in that particular moment. But again, not only did I receive mercy when judgment was, would have been just, not only did Dad uh, restore the breach that existed between us, but he did it at a cost. Because again, um, now my kids crash cars, um, and so I pay for I pay for crash cars. So I realize um, that all of this mercy and forgiveness comes at a cost. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not free. Um, someone has to someone has to pay the tab um, on that one, and uh, you know obviously I mean that is the profound message of the gospel in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. I mean there's there's this uh, there is, and again what what so many people um, dismiss. I mean you just need to get over it and enjoy your life, but you really can't, can you? Uh, there's so much that you know that's that really is broken and disordered. And, and, it, and it needs something more than a change of disposition to deliver us. Uh, and there is a hope needed beyond simply a change of our thinking. There needs to be an intervention uh, that comes from outside of ourselves. There needs to be an imputation of uh, righteousness and a, and a standing that we can't produce um, on our own. And again, it, it, it comes at a cost, but God wonderfully, graciously, not begrudgingly, um, pays that in the cross and the resurrection. Jesus resolutely sets his face um, to go to Jerusalem. And rather than immediately calling down fire on those who do not receive him, Jesus continues to make his way toward the cross uh, and through the cross to the resurrection. And so at the end of the day, the final thing I'll say, uh, one of the gracious things that, that Jesus gives us is yes, love uh, and and mercy, which despite how tough we act, we long for. We, we long for love and we long for mercy um, in, in our lives. Um, you know, man or woman, old or young, that's something that we, particularly as the years go on, uh, we, we, we feel the need of it uh, more and more um, in our lives. But again, wonderfully, God um, is willing um, to pay the cost. Uh, as Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians, he says, we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in us. The life of Jesus might be alive um, in our lives. And then finally this, as Jesus goes to the cross, he is alive, he is gracious, he is sacrificial. And at the end of the day, rather than just, quote, enjoying our lives, which we're actually able to enjoy our lives a lot more in the reality of our being adopted as God's sons and daughters in Jesus. There's actually a, a joy and a gratitude and a, and, a, and a peace in our lives, which is infinitely greater than uh, pretending God doesn't exist and that life isn't all that bad. <laughs> it's actually infinitely better. But, but finally this, uh, we can live that way because we know that the final word is a word of resurrection, that, that God's truth speaks to our lives now, but it's also so much bigger than this moment. It speaks to life beyond this world. Um, that we, the, the, you know, the, the burial office speaks of the, gra the, um, uh, the grave and gate uh, of death, uh, a, a gate by which we pass uh, through Jesus, through his cross and through his resurrection to new and risen life. That, I mean, it's wonderfully helpful to know that there's something so much bigger um, than just this moment. And we're being fashioned, yes, and strengthened in this moment. We'll also be prepared for something bigger. Uh, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that uh, you're alive uh, and that you are gracious and that you are sacrificial and that rather than the, all the very real and active words of sin and death, you speak a greater word uh, of forgiveness, of mercy, of 
restoration uh, of life. And it's a word we need to hear again and again. Uh, So guide us by your spirit that we might be engaged by you, uh, that you indeed would shape and fashion us. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.